There we go. I think that worked. <laughs> Welcome everybody to another episode of our Puget Systems podcast. Um, yeah, what a man! It's been. This is gonna be cool. We got Matt Bach, our internal expert on uh, like content creation software, everything from Premiere and DaVinci Resolve to After Effects and all the other good stuff in between. Um, yeah, so it's been a little bit, I think, since before the new year. And yeah. a lot, a lot has happened. We have had CPU launches. We've had software updates. We got a lot, the big, big shakeups all around. So um, I think we got, a, we got quite a bit to talk about this week, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this week, man, it's been like you said, it's been months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm still really shocked at how well the 12th gen Intel stuff uh, did. Like uh, it, that was good for them. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. And we still have room to grow. Um, cause I mean, the 12th didn't launch. We're all still on DDR4 and, you know, DDR5 is still to come. And I forget what we saw. It was, it was like 10% performance gain with mm -hmm. DDR5. It's just, yeah, we got to wait till like, you know, it exists. Right. <laughs> you know, for, I mean, it exists, but you know, we got to wait until supply <laughs> is consistent. Wait until motherboards are out that have good features. Yeah. Cause especially with like a, a, a change in memory, like it's kind of awkward, I bet, for like Gigabyte and Asus and all those guys, because now they have to like double their product line because they have to have DDR4 boards and then DDR5, and for whatever reason, it seems like they never just like make the same board twice. Like they do sometimes, right? But I I don't know why it feels like for the boards we like, you know, it's like okay, yeah, we want Thunderbolt, we want 10G networking. Oh, that's only available on DDR4. Okay, well, right. we gotta wait till they make one on DDR5. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder, like, what really goes into them. I'm sure there's an enormous amount of engineering things to consider down oh, yeah. that that small and stuff. You can't just like, oh, we'll just put a different chipset in there and it's fine. But like, how 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 much of a difference is it really? Yeah, who knows? It could also be. I mean, every company, every person is going to have limited amount of bandwidth of what they can do. Mm -hmm. So it could just mean that they made a decision of like, okay, hey, we're going to worry about these boards for DDR5, but since we know supply is going to be short, there's no reason to make our full product lineup. So we're just going to make the ones that we think are going to be the most popular. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's probably Plus, something like that. With everything else, supply chain stuff and back, you know, uh, manufacturing time and space being pre-ordered and, you know, years ahead of time. And this, it, I imagine it's just a big, it's a yeah. lot of chaos. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I saw on, I think maybe it was Reddit or, or Twitter or something. Someone just built like a 12th gen system, but they couldn't get a GPU. So they're using a uh, GeForce 980. Was that even okay. GeForce back then? I think it was. Uh, but I don't no. think it's GTX. It was before GTX, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Like the old 980 where like, you know, the cards have like a picture of some like, you know, cartoon oh, character or yeah. anime kind of thing on oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like a 12-year-old card. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's a little unbalanced. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or I've seen I've seen people um buying up quadros that are, mm -hmm. you know, tight Titan equivalent and stuff from but previous gen Kepler status and whatnot. It's 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 chaos out there and people doing all kinds of weird stuff. So. Yeah, I'm I'm still very thankful that like for, at least for our workstations we're weathering it and it seems to be okay. I mean, the fact that we don't have to buy through retail sure helps a lot because then we don't get price gouged as much. We just have to make sure our supply lines are good and right. you know, we pay our bills on time and everything. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, cool. So, uh, where do you want to start? What What are you most excited about? Things you've changed because we, um, you just put out oh, um, your local uh, an update to your local storage suggestions on how Premiere mm -hmm. Pro and After Effects should be set up. 
as far as like what files go where on what hard drives. Uh, you did a recent look at um, DPX footage, which that was new and exciting for me. Um, yeah, so where, where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we can just tackle through those one at a time. Sure. I mean, the, the storage thing, honestly, nothing's really changed. Like, it was years, five or six years ago or something. Like, we, we put out an article about how to configure storage for Premiere Pro mm -hmm. and, and After Effects. It might have been both. I don't remember even. Um, and I think we even made a little terrible video to go along with it. And But, yeah, like, nothing's really changed. Like, the, like things have gotten okay. faster. Um, right. NVMe drives have gotten cheaper and more reliable. So, like, we're starting to use them more and more. But as far as like what you should do, it's it's really the same thing. Like move your cache to its own drive if you can. Okay. Uh, keep your OS and applications on a fast drive using the SSD. Or now we're starting to just do NVMe's more and more because mm -hmm. they're not that much more expensive. And then like, hey, yeah, everything else is like, well, what kind of videos are you working with? What what's your assets? You know, because if it's giant, huge bitrate like DPX, like you mentioned, well, that's gonna have to go on an NVMe. If it's like H.264, yeah, whatever. Like. Should put it on an SSD, but like technically you could do hard drive if you really wanted to. I, I wouldn't. Right. Um, but then it's like, oh yeah, are are your projects like one terabyte? Are they eight terabytes, twenty terabytes? Yeah. You know how how just how big is it? And right, then, right. then that just determines your storage. So that's the hard thing with storage. Like you can give like you know some you know best practices. You know dedicated cache drive. Mm. Uh, but beyond that, then it just starts to devolve into, well, what are you doing? <laughs> right, right. Because that is something we've gotten a lot of questions on since that article in that video had, had mm -hmm. come out. It's like, hey, what, I have this dude now. What if I only have one or, or two drives and that sort of thing? Like, how is it any different? And so it's nice to have a little something to turn turn back to. Yeah, well, just, you know, it's been so old. So many people look at that old article and be like, well, I, there's no way it can still be right. Right. It's like nope, nope. It's still the same thing. <laughs> it's kind of like flatter drives are less of a of a talking point, I guess, unless you're dealing with yeah. file sizes. I mean, in some ways, I, I feel like platter drives are at just as important to probably actually now, but it's not because of internal storage. It's because of sure. like NAS units. It, it right. sure seems like you know. I don't know if it's just we're dealing with less you know, mid-range prosumers or whatever and more high-end studios or, or what, but it sure feels like NAS units are becoming more and more popular, even for, oh, sure. you know, someone who's just, you know, a one-man band and you're just doing their own thing by themselves. It sure feels like NAS units are gaining in popularity. Mm -hmm. And that's where, yeah, you're going to need a lot of storage. And like, man, if you do that with SSDs, it's going to be really expensive. Very. So yeah. most people are going to be, you know, doing, you know, an array of platter drives. Um, but a lot of them do have like SSD cache, which is kind of nice. I don't know how much it actually helps. You know, if you've got a one terabyte cache drive, but then you're working on a project with four terabytes of footage, like, oh. yeah, that cache drive is probably not going to be doing much. <laughs> nothing's really being read often enough to be cached. Sure. But sure. it still helps. So is, is that kind of an important consideration then for your cache drive to be bigger than the projects you're working on? No, usually cache is a lot smaller than your project because oh. cache is cache is things like um, waveforms. You know, in Premiere Pro, you see the audio, the waveforms. Those things right. are stored as cache files, okay. um, or just where things are. Like you have in your project, okay, there's I have this video, you know, video one dot mp4 or whatever. But mm -hmm. where does that live on your system? Um, and like 
Premiere Pro could go and find it every single time, but what it uses is cache files, a, a media database of like, this lives there, so it never has to figure it out every time. It's just, yeah, it's there. That's where you get those errors where it's like, hey, I'm trying to find this clip that was in this project. It's not there anymore, and you can re you can kind of repoint it to where it's hiding. Is that that's kind yeah, of... You, it, it could be. I mean, you, generally, if you're running into problems with, like, media being not found and stuff, and, like, mm -hmm. you know it's there, it's probably a corrupt cache database. Okay. Um, and, like, Premiere Pro, again, it can figure all this stuff out, you know, again. So that's why, like, clearing cache is very important. And why, uh, well, here, I'll even bring it up. In Premiere Pro, yeah, they've recently, well, not even, it's been a couple of years now. Uh, they've added a media cache management system. Nice. Uh, I don't know if you know. Yeah, I should have made my screen 1080p before the stream, so it would be a little that bit works. bigger. Uh, but so you can have things like automatically delete after 90 days or automatically delete when it's, you know, gotten to a certain size. Um, and that's terrific because, man, cache stuff, like, you don't... It, it, it makes things go faster and smoother in, in mm -hmm. Premiere Pro while you're working, but it's nothing that can't be replaced. Um, sure. You know, usually... If you've got, you know, even a pretty decent sized project, like, okay, maybe it'll take a few extra seconds, maybe even like a minute to load, you know, next time you launch Premiere Pro. But like, that's a one-time thing. And now who knows what bugs it's gotten rid of. Because <laughs> right. it, it always feels like first troubleshooting step with anything with like Premiere Pro, After Effects, DaVinci Resolve, Photoshop, anything like that is clear your cache. Clear your <laughs> cache and clear your preferences. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm, that I'm... actually... I should have this set up. I don't know why I don't have this set up. I should do it right now. Probably because I clear my preferences for troubleshooting of like right. different random things constantly. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that's cool. So, what are you what are you working on in here anyway? This looks like you oh. what you had just posted recently on Twitter about the remix thing. Yeah. So, um, in addition to like you know all the hardware stuff that we're always doing, we always keep up on uh, software and like what is Adobe doing. And I think did I have a tab? I did, yeah. They they just do it. Did a new uh, update a couple of days ago of the twenty two point two, and man, it's a good update. Like, there's there's been a lot of really good things that Adobe's been doing recently. Like After Effects, I and mean, we've talked about it a ton. You know, a few oh, months yeah. ago, multi frame rendering and composition profile and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, but this update in Premiere is pretty decent. They made a speech to text way faster, so apparently it's three times faster. I mean, I don't do that, but like auto captions is amazing. Like I've, I've heard more and more that people are even just like editing to the text, like captions, because mm -hmm. uh, in Premiere Pro, um, I don't have a good example of this. Like it, it'll put, um, you know, come back up here. Like it'll give you, you know, up in here, you can have your captions and it'll separate it up by like paragraph or, you know, like you know, sentence and stuff. And so a lot of people are even like just using that to navigate their timeline. It's like, oh, that's oh. there. Oh, they stopped. I can see that they stopped and, like, repeated something, and I can see they, they halted. So you don't have to look at a waveform. You can actually just see the text. And, like, it's not perfect, but if it generates really fast and they just made it yeah. three times faster, like, that's, that's just clever. yet another tool. I like that. It, I, I noticed it mentioned that it was it's local. It's being it's being done on device now. Because when I was yeah, with you the can... transcription, it was it's it sends it off and then comes back, and that can take a few a few minutes it wasn't anything horrible but um, yeah i imagine but yeah now you really can do it on device yeah that's yeah. cool yeah and you know a lot of this stuff i i feel it's kind of like proxies where it doesn't have to stop your workflow um as you're like 
you know, getting started in a project. You drag in all of your, you know, different camera shots from a talking head interview or, or a single, you know, recording from a Zoom or right. <laughs> StreamYard or whatever. Uh, you can just start it generating captions, you know, right away while you're doing all your other setup because there's always mm -hmm. a bunch of setup you got to do when you start a project. And if that's just another tool you can use for editing, like that's great. You know, you, now you can edit to, you know, the you can edit to the waveform to the audio. You can edit to the video, and now you can edit to captions. Like that's great, and especially for these talking heads that are now so popular with yeah. you know, Zoom and pandemic and everything. That's wonderful. And then you can just turn around and use it for, because um, what is it we've talked about like putting the captions like the text of any like interviews like on a a page oh right you know, yes. so that it's it, so like yeah yeah so that google can crawl it and mm -hmm. you know find everything because i mean videos are wonderful but they're not that great for seo search engine right. optimizations like it's hard sometimes to find the right video but if all the caption is there i don't know you can you know search by that google can use yeah. that I've seen that quite a bit, especially like on news sites and stuff. They'll um, where they're interviewing somebody or or whatnot. They'll the video will be up top, and then the whole trans transcription will be below um, for that reason. And it's really nice. Sometimes, yeah, I've seen that in some um, like tutorials and stuff too, like training materials. Because mm -hmm. uh, that is wonderful. Because me, oftentimes, like I don't want to watch a video of someone just like talking about how they set something up. Like, no, I'm just gonna like skim through the text and like, okay, that's the part I need to know. And then yeah. watch the video for the useful parts. Yeah, to me. Yeah, no, I like it. It's like the like the recipes, right? You go to a recipe <laughs> and there's like a whole blog post before you get to just the list of ingredients. It's like that's all I want. It's just give me yeah. the important bits. Yeah. And if yeah. that's all video, well, now you got to skip around and hope you can find where it is where they talk about the ingredients. But if it's yeah. text, you can actually you can skim a lot easier. At least at least oh, me. Yeah. I mean, I know everyone you know ingests you know different content different, but getting yeah more different ways for people to interact with content, I think is always good. I agree. Absolutely. And and yeah, and I have to say, even I haven't played with it since this this recent update, but the, the transcription thing is pretty powerful. And I think a little better than YouTube's attempt at, at their like auto caption thing. Um, it's pretty, pretty good. And I imagine only as time goes on, it gets better and better and better because the Sensei, Adobe Sensei AI stuff is just I imagine it's all all of this is is wrapped up in that same ball yeah, of the whole, machine learning. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of these things are. And man, yeah, it's it's cool because like you said, it's just gonna get better and the more people use it and like make corrections in their own. I, I'm not sure how it works between like stuff going back to Adobe to like train their mm -hmm. models. I don't know, but I would imagine that the more people use it, the better smarter it's gonna be. Um, I think so. Who knows how they do it? They might, I mean, I'm sure like YouTube, they train on their own stuff. You know, if someone fixes captions, mm -hmm. then it uses that as a training model. Adobe, I don't know if they like, I doubt they send back your data of like your audio and then your text that you corrected. I doubt it. That seems like a... I would be surprised if it was like the raw, like here's all of my audio, like the file itself kind of. Yeah. But I mean, there's got to be some kind of, of learning data that goes back and forth. I would, I would. Think. Yeah. Or yeah, you you're right. There's got to be ways they can do it safely. Yeah, yeah, but, must. But yeah, so like, there's there's that stuff. What else did they add? Mm -hmm. um, faster exports. I think they added a bunch of uh, hardware encoding options. And man, Ooh, some of the performance right. that they they put in is like, I'll make it you know decent size. 
is insane, you know, what they're saying. So this is exporting to HEVC, um, and it's just the new version of Premiere versus the uh, the previous. Mm-hmm. And man, like some of these things, like I never trust first party performance things ever. I don't care if it's Adobe, I don't care if it's Intel, AMD, anybody. Yeah. Um, but even if it's like half that, that's insane. Yeah. Like that's amazing. So um, it's probably, I don't think they go super deep into it, but it's probably just they added hardware encoding support for this 10-bit 420. And that's, that's oh. the kind of gains you get because of hardware encoding and, and decoding. But like, good. Good, I'm glad they did it because like 10 bits right. becoming more popular even as an export because of all the HDR stuff. Okay. And um, so if like bigger, better performance gains is, is always good. I mean, the other mm-hmm. thing too with like HEVC, it feels like so many people aren't using it yet. Like so many people are still exporting to H.264 and uploading that to YouTube. Wow. When like HEVC, it's like, you know, half the size, same yeah. quality at half the size. That's wonderful. Or it can be, you know, twice the quality at the same size. Well, n- not exactly, but, you know, it can be <laughs> roughly. Uh, huh. So, like, man, people need to use HEVC more. Like, come on, <laughs> do it. Yeah. Yeah, Uncle even, Matt even like, a, yeah, yeah, use HEVC. <laughs> do it. And once you finally do, then we'll probably be moved on to, what is it, VP9 or AV1 or oh, whatever those other yeah. ones are. I've, I've, heard, I've heard that kicked around for quite a bit. Like, Google, I remember... Um, like on their their oh, something about their cloud service is like built from the core to to handle the AV one I think is what it was it's for YouTube like behind the scenes when they process your videos their machines are are running it through that algorithm or codec I'm I'm unsure of the proper yeah it's supposed to be really good um, yeah. as far as yeah. the quality and size and everything but I, I you know I always feel like the things that are going to determine what people use in like post-production is going to be what do cameras record to. Right. I, I've never heard of a camera that records to VP9. So I, I feel like, you know, all these editors and, you know, colors and whatever, like they don't know it. So they're mm-hmm. not going to use it. Okay. Um, I, it's probably, you know, similar to like how so many deliverables require ProRes when like DNX is just as good, but just you know, they don't, they don't know it. So they're just going to require ProRes, you know, no one's ever going to be fired for delivering progress. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. Uh, so back to that that exporting thing. Is that uh, I noticed that the the hardware specs that they they had mentioned there was a Xeon something two point one oh, gigahertz. Uh... And forgive my ignorance. Um, that has nothing to do with QuickSync, right? Because I know in our in our look at um, hardware decoding, I think it was the mm-hmm. articles for that. If you've got if you've got Intel with QuickSync. You can handle anything, and it's tremendous. It's amazing. It's great. Um, this, I think, is independent. They, I think they they were showing they've they've got two here. One is using NVIDIA, I imagine, and one is using um, Intel oh. QuickSync. Yeah, uh, because Iris, the Iris Xe thing, I think, is there. That's like a laptop built in. Yeah, that's graphics. yeah Intel Intel graphics in the laptop. Oh, that's um, amazing. But. So yeah, this one's got to be QuickSync. This one's got to be using NVIDIA. I don't know why they didn't actually like say, well, they kind of say it up here, Intel or NVIDIA GPUs. So that okay. they kind of say it, but yeah, it's kind of weird. Cause like, I mean, who even knows what this Xeon is? Just Intel Xeon 2.1 gigahertz. All right, what is that? Yeah, which one? <laughs> is it, <laughs> yeah, does it have QuickSync? Like, are you actually showing QuickSync here? Um, also, how old is that? Cause yeah. like this, 
CPU is definitely not modern. RTX 5000, you know, that's a gen old now. Yeah, yeah. I'm always amazed at how much, um, like, a giant company like Adobe, they're still doing, like, development and, um, or, uh, like, like, these kind of charts are on a gen old or more gen old. But, I mean, on the other hand, that's probably what most Adobe users are. They're not going to be current gen. They're going to be a gen old or two. So, you know, it maybe is actually more relevant. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we got a comment, and this, this kind of interesting. Stephen Barton on YouTube uh, says, sometimes people send us HEVC footage to edit, and it's been a nightmare. I haven't tried it with uh, Premiere 2022 yet, though. Um, yeah, usually the problem with HEVC and H.264, I mean, they're kind of the same problems, is there's so many, you know, all the different variations. Um, so here, let me, oh, is there a website? 8-bit, 10-bit, 420, all those flavors, the rainbow, the menagerie of, of, um, and, and you've mentioned before that to edit, so, to, to clarify, H.264, H.265, these are like, these are the codecs, right? Right word, codec? Yes. Yep. That, like, your cell phone records in. These are, they're very small, pretty high quality, uh, good good compression algorithm for their for the video. They are not meant for editing. You have said no, this a lot. You've drilled on this a lot. They are not, they're not designed to be edited with. And, and I think a big part of that is, you've mentioned, um, because of variable frame rate. Right. That's, yeah, that's kind of a be. big issue with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And because like you said, like they're really, they're considered a deliverable codec. I mean, a lot, a lot of these I'm definitions done. are, you know, you know, open to interpretation, let's say. Uh, sure. But I always call them a deliverable codec. Like it's whenever you're delivering something so like from a camera or from your cell phone, that's delivering, you know, footage or you're mm -hmm. exporting out of Premiere Pro. That's, you know, deliverable uh, because it's like you said, it's great quality and a really small file size, but yeah, processing that is a huge pain in the butt. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll bring this up. So we have one of our articles is like what kind of uh, hardware you need to handle different flavors of them because you've got the bit depth, you know, the color bit depth. You've got the chroma subsampling. That's the four two zero four two two four 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 kind of a thing. And until very recently. Um, it was really just the H.264 that we really had in Premiere Pro, and it was only 8-bit 420. That was it. Uh, and, you know, until like a year or two ago, GPUs weren't even used for it. So it was just if you had Intel QuickSync. That was that was it. Mm -hmm. um, and then a year or two ago, they added GPU decoding. So anything that GPU could handle could be used by Premiere Pro. And that's kind of, you know, we got HEVC now being supported. But even today, it's just 8-bit 420, 10-bit 420, and if you have a 11th or 12th gen uh, Intel CPU with QuickSync, then you can do 10-bit 4.2.2. But anything else is going to be awful. It's going to be yeah. absolutely garbage. Uh, and so you really need to make sure that what you're working with in Premiere Pro is one of these variations. Um, mm -hmm. And there are some very common ones that we get a lot, like 8-bit uh, 4.2.2 or 10-bit 4.2.2 is one uh, we have customers ask us about quite a bit with H.264. There's a lot of uh, like Canons and Sony, uh, especially like DSLRs that will shoot that. Mm -hmm. And we just have to tell them like, yeah, it's going to be crap. <laughs> like <laughs> your solution is either hope that you can do 10-bit 420 HEVC, which a lot of mm -hmm. cameras actually could. Um, or if you can do 10-bit 422, then well, you just need an Intel CPU with QuickSync and it'll be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. uh, but anything else, 
yeah, it's going to be absolute garbage, and there's just nothing you can do about it. The, the solution mm. is proxies. Um, okay. And you don't have to go to giant proxies. Uh, I feel like the go-to with proxies, the answer is always, yeah, ProRes, you know, ProRes LT, ProRes Proxy, but like those things are massive. Uh, but you can get away with doing like a HEPC or H.264 8-bit 420 proxy. That, that's mm -hmm. fine. Um, you know, as long as you have hardware decoding support for it, like it's not going to be as good as like ProRes. But if you're limited on space, yeah, it, it can it can do the job. You know, especially if you down the resolution, down the bit rate. Uh, okay. But something else to note though is DaVinci Resolve yeah, takes a kind of one. a different approach. So Adobe that. It feels like, I mean, this isn't like first-hand information, you know, it's a, to take it with a grain of salt, but my, it feels to me like they're focusing on the most common uh, codecs, like the, the ones that are going to have the biggest benefit. Uh, and then after that, then they're skipping over to the, you know, speech-to-text transcription stuff, the, you know, uh, remix stuff, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas DaVinci Resolve kind of goes the other way. Like, they don't have as many fancy features, I feel, as like Premiere. But when mm -hmm. it comes to like hardware decoding, they add in whatever they can, um, yes. which for H.264 isn't much. It's still just going to be 8-bit 420. Um, okay. And that is because there's just not hardware level support. Like AMD, NVIDIA, Intel, none of them have added anything other than 8-bit 420. And I highly expect they never will. Um, I, I think a lot of them kind of view it as a legacy codec right. where it's been replaced by HEVC already and the you know, VP9 is now the thing that's on the forefront. Um, you, know, you know, whether you define it as the legacy codec or not, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, it's not the most modern codec, but there's still like billions of, well, maybe not billions, millions of people shooting with H.264 out there. It's still right. the most common codec we ever hear about. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of disappointing that like, yeah, 8-bit 422, like, yeah, that's always going to be terrible and there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. It's the, but it's at like, least it seems like it's the DDR4, DDR5 kind of problem. Like everybody has DDR4 because like it's been eight years or something of everybody were rocking on mm -hmm. it. And it's the same kind of deal. Like the original GoPro and everything since has been H.264. And now we're only just now kind of in the last couple of years getting H.265. So it's it's like, where do we want to put the focus on, on you know, supporting the what is an older stuff or do we want to really double down on the future yeah yeah exactly exactly and the the thing to note here though is how much more davinci resolve adds support i mean they've got 10-bit 420 across the board not just on intel that there's some 8-bit 444 support in there um the cool thing is seeing that like intel is like gung-ho on adding support um i i don't know if that was like in response to seeing that now GPUs are starting to do things. So they had to add, add a, an additional value add. So they just went, you know, doubled down on adding more support. Cause going from 10th gen to 11th gen, like they added so much more support in 11th gen. Yeah. Um, so all that to come back to the original thing about HVC footage is um, it's probably not a format that is, has hardware decoding support in Premiere Pro. And if you do it a ton, well, you might want to take a peek over at DaVinci Resolve. Um, even if you don't use it for absolutely everything, I do know several people who use DaVinci Resolve just for generating proxies cool. uh, because they can decode that HEVC faster. Um, in Windows, you can't do a ProRes proxy, then you'd have to use like a DNX, but mm -hmm. you can use that for it. Um, the only downside is, well, you need these 
What do you still? I was going to say you need the studio version to get hardware acceleration or hardware decoding support in Resolve, but I think they've they're starting to add to the free version um, even some uh, hardware decoding support. So you mm-hmm. might not even need the the full paid version. So cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of a mess. You know, H two sixty four, all those long GLP or in in interframe intraframe. I always mix the two up. Long GLP codecs are, <laughs> are just always going to be a mess and. Okay. Yeah, I wish there was like a standard people could like arrive to, but there's just so many different things that people can do. It's like H two six four and HVC are by far like the most like customizable codec out there. Like ProRes, you have what like six or eight different presets, and then it's resolution, and that's it. Cool. Whereas H two six four and H two six five, there's dozens. <laughs> you you mentioned a couple times uh, about how we see different footages and stuff. Um, there's something we don't talk about often enough that, or at, at all, really. Um, people can hire you guys in a sense, or we test, you know, people, uh, how do I put this? Customers and stuff will come to us and say, hey, like how much better is this really gonna be? They send us test footage and things like that. That helps to inform like where things are going, right? Like, do you want, can you expand on that? Yeah, so the the problem with video editing, and I, I'm sure this comes into in, in other industries as well, is there are so many workflows and variations. Like, I mean, we we're just talking about H.264, but you've also got all the flavors of ProRes, and then you got like all the different like red codecs and all the different uh, compressions and resolutions and Blackmagic RAW. And I've got like ProRes RAW that no one uses, but I'm sure there's one or two people out there. Um, and or, and then you get up to like the really high end stuff like RA Raw or Cinema DNG. Uh, and the hard part is, I mean, we do a lot of testing. Um, mm-hmm. We have, you know, our own homebrew. Well, it's not really homebrew at this point, but our own in house benchmark that we've made. But even in like a benchmark, we can only test a handful of different codecs when there's in reality hundreds or even thousands of variations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like you're saying, one of the things we do is we ask our customers to send us either a project or uh, just a few sample clips and we can test on, you know, okay, what is it actually going to be with your project? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with like all the whole payment side of it. I know some things we can comp some things, you know, if you're not buying a workstation from us or if it's a much bigger project, we have to, you know, ask for payment for our time, you know, just like, you know, an editor has to ask for payment for their time. Right. Uh, But then we can dive in and we can really, figure out exactly the right thing. And, you know, honestly, it feels like a lot of the time it ends up saving the customer money because a lot of these codecs are worse than you think. Like, we'll, <laughs> in we'll look at, what like, do you mean worse, like, in terms of uh, Worse at, like, utilizing, uh, like, your system hardware. So, like, okay, processing okay. it. So something like, uh, we did that testing uh, recently on DPX. Uh, yes. I put a, yeah, an article. Um, so a customer sent us some DPX files because they wanted to be able to edit it in uh, DaVinci Resolve uh, was what, what they were looking at. And, you know, I got into it. And I'm like, man, this is super interesting. So I expanded it out. I did some extra testing, you know, not just on their clip because I gave them their answer, you know, right away mm-hmm. of how it performed on a couple different systems. And that helped them inform them. Uh, I think in that case, it was no, don't buy the more expensive CPU, buy the cheaper one because it's faster. So again... Like, even though I think they had to make, you know, pay us, uh, you know, for that testing, they ended up saving money because it was the exact right thing, not, you know, something that, you know, we're making our educated guess on. But again, there's thousands of variations. 
we can't know everything. Yeah. Um, but the, this thing, you know, I got into it, and there's some really interesting things. You know, first of all, these things are massive files. Um, so I, I just threw up like some sample like bit rates and stuff, and you know, 1080p, you know, lowest end is generally going to be around 200 megabits a second. Um, that's like four times higher than like 4K ProRes. Um, and then you get all the way up. If someone was happening to do 8K 16-bit, which, I mean, you're getting into like Hollywood level stuff, like okay. it totally could be. You know, you're talking about like making Marvel movies and doing VFX for Marvel. I, I don't know what codec they're using, but it, it might be something like this. Sure. And that's four and a half gigabytes a second not gigabit gigabytes per second so like yeah. an hour of footage is 16 terabytes like yeah okay that's that's pretty big that's um so i think in this case the the bigger thing for this customer wasn't actually even the cpu it was you need bigger storage and faster storage because sure. you know it doesn't matter how fast your cpu is if you know your storage can't keep up right um uh, but so in this article, you know, we talked about that basically, you know, primary is storage speed and then how much power do you need? Um, it was also really interesting to see that DaVinci Resolve was amazing for it. Like CPU load, uh, that's here for like a couple of different formats. And at most it was 4% overall, 20% on a single core. And like uh -huh. th that was it. Whereas Premiere Pro, we hit 40% uh, total, and it, but it was spread out across all cores at 8K. 10-bit, uh, and we were starting to drop some frames, and we mm -hmm. got up to the really top end, and we were at 100%, and we were only getting 5 FPS instead of the 23.976, you know, 24 wow. FPS. So the the other really interesting thing about this was, man, yeah, you should be using DaVinci Resolve if you're going to have to be working with DPX because, you know, 20% on a single core, 4% overall is a whole heck of a lot better than 100%, and you're dropping, you know, three-quarters of the frames. Right. So... Yeah, wow. when you get down to individual codecs, it just sometimes you don't know how these ones that are not as mainstream are going to behave. Right. Wow. So. Dang, that's that's pretty cool. Um, man, it, it 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 seems, and not to not to rag on Adobe at all, but it, it seems like Resolve, uh, not better necessarily, but they're they seem to be focused on. Um, like more professional workflows, it seems like with being um, able to handle all these different flavors of HVC. And then we saw this crazy DPX codec being handled like a champion. Um, I'd say it's just different. Um, I mean, because so, some of it is like, okay, how does a, a, a program handle, handle footage? And like in some areas, like you mentioned, like HVC, Dimitri is definitely ahead. DPX is definitely ahead. Uh, but then you get into things like ProRes, um, mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, they're probably about the same. Like, ProRes is so easy to edit. Like, honestly, I don't care if DaVinci Resolve can edit ProRes technically twice as fast because, like, Premiere is going to be able to do, you know, nine multicam, you know, setups with ProRes. Like, it, it's good enough. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter while you're actually editing. Yeah. Uh, so much of, you know, Program A versus Program B, you know, whether it's Premiere, DaVinci Resolve, Vegas, Avid, it's about your workflow and what you're using within it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know... A lot of people will use DaVinci Resolve because of the much better like color tools and the noise reduction. And so sure. like, great, yeah, use, use DaVinci Resolve because that's more important in your workflow. Um, someone that's just doing uh, like commercial editing or like the guy who does our, um, our videos, uh, mm -hmm. he is in Premiere and I feel like it's because there's a lot of 
tools in Premiere, like all the stuff that Adobe is doing recently with like, you know, this stuff we were talking about, the, the, uh, the transcribing, the, the remix, the um, scene edit detection, all that kind of stuff, it makes the workflow much faster because of features. Sure. So I, I always have a hard time, you know, we rarely show something like, you know, that with, what we do with the DPX where here's the Premiere Pro performance and hardware load versus DaVinci Resolve performance and hardware load. We rarely show that because so much of it is not about just straight up performance. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Plus then you get into like, well, I also use After Effects and that's going to integrate with Premiere Pro. That's true. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's yeah. complicated. <laughs> and that's, and that's, that's kind of the advice that they can get from you guys as well from labs, right? It's like, well, Hey, maybe Premiere Pro isn't the right software just from a high level general like work yes yeah, sometimes okay yeah usually it's more you know they tell us what they're doing and we tell them how to make the most out of it okay uh, but yeah there are times like if this customer was using premiere pro we'd probably tell them like hey you might either like want to find a different codec you can might be working with that you know premiere pro handles better or you know just know you're gonna have to be using proxies or you know hey maybe you should take a look at davinci resolve um yeah, it, it's it more often our recommendations on like workflow is like, hey, don't be afraid of proxies. Like, yeah, they were terrible to work with before, but they've made a lot of progress. And like, even for normal workflows that don't really have a performance issue, you might even think about doing it anyway, because it can make things even smoother. So that's cool. I like this question from uh, Kentucky Ranger on YouTube. He says, are there any proprietary codecs out there? I could see oh, Adobe sure. making some weird codec that can only be used in their software. Is that anything we no run way. into? Oh, sure. Proprietary codec? ProRes. Oh, every time <laughs> you say that, my mind instantly says Apple. Yeah, yeah, Apple. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Apple owns ProRes. They make it. Um, they license it out to like Adobe and Blackmagic. Um, that's one of the reasons why for the longest time we weren't able to export to ProRes through Adobe products. Um, oh. They must have finally decided they were going to pay Apple uh, tax or not tax, but, you know, licensing costs to get mm -hmm. that. Uh, we still don't have that in DaVinci Resolve. You can't export to ProRes unless you're on macOS because, I mean, Apple's going to give, you know, licensing to themselves. Um, so that's why you have to use like DNX when you're working in DaVinci Resolve and then you could then open Media Encoder and transcode it to ProRes because now you're using Adobe stuff. Um, but yeah, ProRes is the most widely spread proprietary codec, I would say. Um, there's also like, you know, Black Blackmagic RAW. Um, mm. You know, that one is interesting because DaVinci Resolve has pretty good support. Premiere Pro is still done through a plugin, I'm pretty sure. And mm. I have heard mixed reports of how well it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then all, you know, pretty much anything raw is going to be proprietary, you know. Yeah, yeah, Red Raw, Cinema DNG. Uh, although DNGs technically are an open format, but I mean, Canon put their puts their own you know spin on it. Ari Raw, Blackmagic Raw, ProRes Raw. Uh, most codecs are actually proprietary, and there has to be some sort of licensing costs to it. Um, that might even be true for A sixty four and HDC. Don't quote me on that. It might. I don't think it's an open, open format. There might, I'm sure there's, there's gotta be licensing costs. Like there's no way there isn't. I have been, I've I don't know. That's so far, I wouldn't even know who, who you would even talk to, like who handles those sort of deals. Like, 
because ev like everything like you were saying like cell phones and gopros and stuff everybody uses this h265 stuff so it's like is that i oh, it's like who, who do you talk to to license it yeah it's like hdmi be... you pay a, yeah. you pay a fee for hdmi but who is it that's getting the money for that i wonder I think that's one of the reasons why, like, <laughs> motherboards, like, we're talking about, like, computer components, like, motherboards are expensive because there's a lot of licensing costs that goes into things. Like, hey, you want Thunderbolt? Well, you're going to be paying into a lot of licensing costs. That's why AMD boards for the longest time didn't have Thunderbolt. Um, and mm -hmm. it's just recently that I feel like Thunderbolt is becoming important enough on PC that AMD is like, all right, well, we'll pay those licensing costs. Yeah. And yeah. now we're getting it. Yeah. So I've been put... Um... This is a new one for me. This HPA Tech Retreat, where yeah. a handful of us are going to. We're going to be at um, what is that about? It's Hollywood Professionals Association or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize we we're going to talk about this, but yeah, we can talk it, about it. It just so kind of yeah, popped into is... my head, and, and this seems really interesting. So I wanted to. Yeah. So yeah, we're that's. Oh, that's in like two weeks. Ooh. Oh man. So yeah, at HPA, yeah, the um, Hollywood Professionals professionals association i'm pretty sure that's what it is i don't think they actually like say what it is <laughs> anywhere uh but yeah we're actually one of the sponsors um oh, let's see our sponsors yeah we're down 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 here all right we're so we are. Sponsor. Hey, okay yeah it's an interesting sponsorship because i don't think we're actually doing anything at the event i think we were just basically giving them money and <laughs> we're a sponsor normally at these kind of events we sponsor and then there is like a um and like a demo area that we could like take systems and give demos out but um this time we decided like no we're just gonna go we're just gonna network and, and talk to people uh it, it looks like it's a pretty good show but a lot of times we don't fully commit to uh, an event until we've gone to it at least once sure. uh, but yeah myself eric and, and jared are all going out um uh -huh. It's going to be in Palm Springs, so I'm sorry. i got to go down to Palm Springs for a couple of days, you know, here. Oh, <laughs> darn. That's just My terrible. flight might get delayed. I'll have to spend an extra week. You know, I'm not oh. sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, is it, uh, what is it about this this particular – it says a retreat, which sounds a lot more fun than, like, a conference or – Yeah, a I think it's more a conference because it's – most of the day is uh, – it's, it's kind of interesting what they do. So at breakfast, every table is, like, a roundtable discussion. So, like, every table has different topics – which I'm looking forward to that. Problem is okay. that the breakfast is at 7.30 every morning and there's oh. parties every night before. <laughs> but, uh, and then like the whole day is a whole bunch of sessions. Like a lot of them are pretty short, like 30 minute, like kind of like power sessions. So it's going to be wow. really interesting to, to hear because I mean, we go to NAB, we go to NA, uh, mm -hmm. Adobe Max, uh, but a lot of those shows are, they're very wide in who they're targeting, especially like Adobe Max targets a lot of like students, people learning, just getting into things. It's a lot of tips and tricks and beginners and intro courses. Right. Um, NAB is a little more spread between veterans and, and new users. HPA though, like it's Hollywood. So I'm expecting we're gonna go there. We're not gonna hear anything about H.264 and HEVC. Cool. If we hear anything about Codex, it's gonna be Aria Raw and Red and Blackmagic Raw and you know that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so it's going to be really good because, I mean, we've been more and more over the years climbing the stack of, you know, how high level. And I feel like now we've got a great spread, mm -hmm. but there's always more to learn. And as, as an event like HPA seems like it's going to be hyper-focused on the top end, uh, which is great because then, you know, at lunches and dinners and breakfasts, we can pick the brains of, like, what are you doing? What are your headaches? You know, why are you doing it that way? Because I'm curious how many things that we're going to hear is – 
you know, ask, why are you doing it that way? And the answer is going to be, well, we've always done it that way. (laughs) I do kind of feel like larger places have a harder time adapting to new things. Oh, sure. We'll see. Like it's it's expensive. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, even just showing the the at, that Adobe update looks like they're using old hardware, not old old, but in terms of how fast technology changes, of one generation can make a twenty percent difference in your in your output. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it can be tough, I imagine, to to make changes. So. Yeah. Well, and and some things. I'm also going to be curious to see how much of this. I'm pretty sure most of this is like cinema side, um, not oh. like VFX, because. VFX, I feel like, man, they adopt new stuff constantly because they they have to. Sure. Like, you know, hey, you want to do you know these crazy you know Marvel movies and stuff? You've got to be using like you're inventing technology in order to do it. Whereas on the cinema and film, it's more. Now we're gonna shoot this and you know ProRes Quad Four like we always have because we know it works. We know how it's gonna behave. We you know everything we know and like especially if it's gonna be like TV, like man, right. you don't need crazy anything for tv like tv's gonna be broadcast you know what 1080p most of the time or even like streaming services yeah like it's not gonna be well, anything crazy I mean, although it is changing now getting more and more or, or 4k and mm-hmm. stuff is, is pretty common these days so yeah i'm curious and, that... and there's the whole uh uh hdr stuff too is now starting to come right. so it, it is starting it's changing but it's not as aggressive as like the vfx industries i wonder um I wonder how much virtual production will be a topic at, at HPA. It is. It is. Uh, that's actually one of the major topics. I imagine uh, so. Is virtual production. Yeah. Man, that is, I'm constant. it's so cool. I'm, I see everything from like garage status, DIY stuff, green screens behind, you know, just hanging behind somebody all the way up to these massive volumes with LED walls and stuff. And and just recently, um, one of our clients, Gabby uh, Feeding Wolves, just posted this thing. This is more metahuman stuff and, and motion capture, but it's like she did this split down the down where it's like her face and then the metahuman, and it's synced like super. It's perfect. She's got, and it's all of that stuff is amazing. You're not gonna be able to tell and, the difference. It's this close, man. And and is that tree real? Is that outfit like that person? Like that's that's not a joke. Like. So yeah, it, it, it's I, that's why I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, where these discussions are going to go in this HPA thing, because it's it's even more than like, you know, using an LED wall, um, you know, like in the Mandalorian and stuff and mm-hmm. how that's becoming more common. It's it's all the previous stuff, you know, sure. OK, we, we have to um, like a lot of the big Hollywood films now, they basically have two or three versions of the movie. Um, and you just never see the, the initial ones because it's like. They made it an Unreal Engine. It's right. basically a game, and that's how they figure out all their camera framing and pacing and all this kind of stuff. So that when they're actually on set, you know, with these Hollywood actors that cost millions of dollars a day, you know, they can get everything perfect, and you know, they never have any problems with like, where's the camera gonna go? How are we gonna, you know, pan or you know, whatever? Um, and you know, that's all figured out ahead of time so that they can maximize their time with these actors. Because it's expensive. Oh yeah, doing yeah. doing film is expensive. <laughs> oh for sure, and that's something too. Um, is that still is 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 real film still a thing? I know I'm sure there's some some directors out there that that do it, but it's it's all pretty much all digital nowadays, right? Hard drives mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, you mean like like actual film? Yeah, oh, no, like, yeah, I'm not sure everything is digital. Yeah, 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 so. yeah, it's it's all. <laughs> um, yeah. 
it's, it's, it's all digital. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Or yeah, that's um, yeah. I'm excited. This this I feel like this year is is going to be really good. The, the shows that we're going to, the the people that we're looking to to talk to, and um, and even just the people who are coming to us, you, you know, potential customers and stuff. We're we're starting to get into a, a time and era where there's just so much power in the hands of of so many different people, and it's super cool. I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, film the whole film industry is it, it's already been moving um, to being less react. Well, I don't know what the right way to say it. It's fake <laughs> because. I mean, even like, you know, some of the Avengers movies recently, you know, you might see this, you know, big old 10 minute scene or whatever. And the only thing real in it is their heads. Right. Like everything else was digitally created afterwards. And it's so good that you don't even notice it. And I mean, that's like, okay, they have giant budgets. Yes. yes. So they can do a lot. But a lot of that technology is starting to trickle down to, you know, me and you, like, if I wanted to take the time to learn how to do it, like, yeah, I, I could set up metahuman stuff and, you know, do face replacements, um, like cloth sims and stuff. Like Houdini is becoming more, um, more home people are starting to use even like applications like Houdini and like Unreal, like has completely blown up, you know, what people are able to do. And you can get pretty darn good pretty quickly. And then it's that last... 10% that is what sets like these giant Hollywood blockbusters apart from someone just making something in the garage. Yeah. And, you know, depending on what you're going for, depending on what you're going for, that might be good enough. Like it, it's all about, you know, cost versus, you know, reward. And mm -hmm. so like we're doing a lot of work with Corridor Digital, like we've been working with them right. for years right. and seeing them start to move into Unreal and virtual production and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, it's really cool to see. And the kind of things that could have taken them, like, weeks to do before, I feel like now, pretty soon, they're going to be able to do, like, oh, yeah, that's a day. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, look, Just look at the difference. I know um, uh, Sam, I think it was, like, two years ago, took a lot of time to uh, – he, he made, like, a whole film inside of Unreal. And oh, and it was terrible. <laughs> it, was, it was so yeah. janky. No, it, it did its job compared to like what they're what they're doing now with like son of a dungeon and stuff it's just it's wow it's super yeah cool. well and because more and more people started doing it and it went from everyone is having to reinvent the wheel to like hey now there's tutorials and guides and unreal themselves have put out tools mm -hmm. to help aid in these kind of things and you know now there's like you know there's plugins and all this other kind of jazz and the more people do something like that the better it's going to get which just makes more people do it which is going to make it even better and yeah it, it's a really exciting time right now to be you know working with these people in the vfx film content creation kind of space um even down you know even outside of film i'm always amazed at how much like photoshop can do now like oh, yeah. yeah photoshop is insane with what it can do it, it makes making all those memes i share on slack or work slack takes me minutes now instead of the hours I was spending a few years ago, you know. <laughs> Don't tell Not me. on the clock, I imagine. Right? Oh, no, 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 no. Of course not. <laughs> I consider it training, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, yeah, you're not You're not joking, especially um, I remember the last time we were at Adobe Max, some of the, the stuff that they were showing off with, like the iPad Pro, 
mm. and and what you're what you're able to do there, like hundreds of layers on a on a tablet, things like that are just it's and all the AI like, stuff. Like oh, AI sure. things are not just in Premiere Pro and After Effects. You know, you, even simple things is like automatic selection of like subjects. Like, man, it's good. Like, mm -hmm. it's better than I could rub, like than I could cut out myself manually because I'm terrible at it. And I don't have like a tablet. I just have like, you know, a mouse. Yeah. Uh, but it's better than what I could do, and it's always easier to get something to start and then clean it up afterwards. And right. I, yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff I feel is what it does. It gets you to a starting part, starting point that is well beyond where you would start normally and mm -hmm. so that's just time saver or it's you know it's okay if you've got an hour either you can fill that hour making it even better or you can like all right i'm done in five minutes and then play around with different things you know try different lighting try different colors you know, make different revisions and see what works yeah yeah that's it and i like this comment from kentucky ranger um they say uh remember the film looker which i don't i don't recognize the film but I can see in the future storing stars and using their stored file instead of the actual actor. That's a, that's well, a, we're already doing that. Yeah, that's <laughs> something we've touched on on other other streams uh, before. Is is like some of the ethical implications. But yeah, like even de aging real actors or or adding them in later, like Tarkin in um, one of the more recent um, or Leia, right? She, she had passed and they de aged and she was completely fake or um, Luke Skywalker, young Luke Skywalker, that kind of a thing. It's, it's just crazy. Yes. Well, they, they, they did that with some of the Fast and the Furious movie. Um, oh, yeah. they, they, they did the whole face. That one was less because it was, I think they got his brother yeah. or something like that. So they didn't have to do as much because it was, it was already pretty close, you know, blood relation and, and everything. Way more, way more of that film was not actually Paul Walker than I thought. Like I thought it was just yeah, mostly crazy. like that very end scene and stuff, but it's it's more like like sixty to seventy percent of of the actual filming scenes. Like he wasn't even there. And yeah, because the crazy thing is, like, you don't need a three D model of a person. Um, you can make that, especially an actor that's been in a lot of films. You just take every single film that they were in and you throw it into a machine learning algorithm, and it figures it out on its own. <laughs> and so, the more popular the actor, the easier it is to do. Right. Uh, and so it just does it, you know, but yeah, totally. I could see, you know, if, I don't know, Samuel L. Jackson wants to like be able to you know, keep money around for his kids or whatever. Yeah. Get like really detailed photo scans of himself in different you know, facial expressions and whatever, and then license it. Yeah, sure. That's cool. But yeah. Uh, Murder Mr. Trump from seventies. So close to what's going on now. Okay. Yeah. Let's right. check it out. That's cool. Yeah. Oh man. It, it is. But yeah. The, the, the scary thing is how easy it is to do some of that stuff, though. Like, we were yeah. talking about Corridor Digital a minute ago. Like, they did, you know, a redo of the of a Luke Skywalker defake. I won't say from where, just in case it's spoilers for anyone still. Um, and they did a pretty darn good job. Um, yeah. You know, not, not perfect, you know. I mean, any deep fake isn't going to be perfect yet. But, oh, man, it's so close. Um, so I'm, I'm still kind of... Worried about, well, when's the first time? I mean, we already have seen, you know, there's, I've seen, thankfully, they're all parody or, or funny videos of like, deep fakes of like celebrities or mm -hmm. uh, politicians, especially. But, mm -hmm. oh man, when's that first deep fake of whoever celebrity or politician A saying something, you know, on camera that wasn't real? But now, how do you prove a negative? No, I didn't yeah. say that. 
I mean, we already have cool. that with audio, cutting audio up, but once there's video, it just adds that much more punch to it. So. Yeah. Though, and and to that point, though, um, I know at least Adobe is trying, has a lot of, um, or is working on tools to, like, notice those sorts of things. I know they have one for Photoshop. I think that's just freely available. You can you put a, a picture into their tool, and it'll say, oh, yeah, this is, this is what was done. Like, they can tell mm -hmm. just from even from it's like it's already exported and stuff it's just like this is the file and they can tell like oh yeah this was blurred and that was cut and this and that so i imagine it it's like any other nefarious thing it's a leapfrog sort of deal yeah somebody's, somebody's gonna do something to, bad somebody's gonna find a way to prove it and they're gonna find a way to fake yeah. it better and yeah if you talk to don uh dr don uh which i know you do but if anyone else does that's one of his big thing with machine learning things is because he's deep into machine learning artificial intelligence and all that mm -hmm. and yeah it's basically uh what do they what does he call it adversarial adversarial networks where yep. yeah they just the the fake you know does learning and then the detection learns from the fake and then the the learning or the deep fake learns from the detection and like they're they're just constantly going back and back and back and back and forth and that's, uh, I, I feel like once those things hit critical mass, where no longer we're contributing to it, yep. man, we're never going to be able to tell the difference, like visually, like ourselves, you'll see something on TV, you'll have no idea unless it's got a little thing at the bottom saying like, this is a fake. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's... Yeah, it's... I don't know, but you know, it, it sounds all super scary, but you know, you also think about, you know, a couple hundred years ago before, you know, TV and everything, if you know, New York Times printed something in their newspaper saying, you know, Roosevelt said this. Well, that's basically the same thing because people are going to yeah. take that at face value. So, you know, deep fakes are scary. AI stuff is kind of scary, but I don't think it's intrinsically a new thing for like humans and society. It's just yeah. a new, new tool, new way, you know, of how things are going. And, you know, yeah. I don't, we don't need to get into, you know, how to, keep yourself from being faked but right. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's cool so uh, what are you I, I always like to close out a little bit what are, what are you excited about for the near future we'll just talk like maybe this year anything cool that you're sure. you're looking forward to uh well next week we're doing a webinar <laughs> oh that's right that's so right. that's yeah so uh, if you're interested in premiere pro and after effects we're, we're doing a webinar for optimizing pc performance in premiere pro and after effects uh so everything from there, there is going to be a section on hardware, but actually a good chunk of it isn't hardware. It's more like workflow. Some of the things we're talking about today about hardware decoding and, you know, flavors and proxies and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's going to be a good one. Um, next week at 11 AM. So a little bit before the same time as what the stream is two hours mm -hmm. earlier. Um, we've got that. Um, if anyone is going to be around for GDC in March, well, actually, first we have the HPA thing we talked about. Um, that's yep, yep. in a couple of weeks. So if anyone happens to be going to HPA, you know, find us and say hi. Uh, but then after that, yeah, March we've got GDC. And then in April we'll be going to NAB, finally <laughs> in person. Uh, it's been, what, two years now? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So if, if, so if anyone's looking forward to going to NAB, you know, yeah, shoot us something on, you know, social media or something and we'll, we'll meet up. So, um, yeah, so that, that's the big things like the next three months after that, yeah. man, I haven't been, I, I don't know. I got to get past these three months first with all these events yeah. and everything, but there is a lot coming. You know, we have, um, on the hardware side, we have Ryzen 7,000 is supposed to be coming out sometime. I, I don't think they gave a firm date at CES. They just said it's coming. Um, 
Yeah, and Surprise. I'm sure there'll be a new Threader for Pros, new Intel CPUs. At some point, I'm sure we'll get new NVIDIA cards, although who knows? It feels like we're still mid-cycle with the 3000 series, but... Yeah, because yeah, they talked about a 3090 Ti that was supposed to come out, I think, this month. And yeah, and so... usually if they're still talking about Ti variants, or in the past they did a couple Supers or whatever, right. that generally still means we've got a little while till the next big ones, but yeah. we'll see. I'm curious, what, so GDC, this is a game developers conference. We don't normally, that seems a little out of our, our purview. What, what are we, kind what, of. what is GDC, yeah, GDC is just kind of weird right now because it's game developer conference, mm -hmm. but I, because of how much the Unreal is being used for virtual production, that's the main reason oh. I feel like we decided to go and, and booth and everything this that year is because of there's, you know, we do sell a lot of systems for you know game development, you know standard game development, uh, but with all this virtual production stuff going on, it's. I wonder if they'll change GDC to be something different. Um, the term I've heard thrown around is like real time three D. So instead of it's, it's not a game engine; it's a real time three D render or real time three D oh, engine. Sure, sure. So we'll see if uh, you know, that. If they change the name, I, I doubt they'll change the name, but it feels like that's really where it's going. It's just like it's a real time 3D engine, and yeah. you can use it for games, you can use it for uh, virtual production, you can use it for previs and film. I mean, there's whole films that now are out that were just made in Unreal. It's so cool, it's really neat. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, well, cool. All right, thanks, Matt. That does put us a little bit over our hour. So, um, one, one last thing, and I, I think I'll touch on this one. Uh, Kentucky Ranger asked, how do y'all stand on updating to Windows 11 right now? I'm still on the fence. Uh, I think the general um, suggestion is don't yet. Unless, I haven't. Unless your software has, the, your primary software um, has come out and said, yeah, we support and everything's going to be fine. Um, like my Even work then. laptop I did, but uh, you're, you're safe for a while. Don't, don't worry yeah. about it. I usually tell people, okay, if you've got a 12th gen Intel CPU, because they have got the whole performance and efficient core, which is supposed to be better on Windows 11, or if you use like ultra wide monitors, there's really um, improvements to the Windows snapping that I think could make a big difference. Oh, sure. But other than like, like, that's the two where I say like, yeah, maybe think about it. Otherwise, like, nah, yeah. it's, it's not a big enough change. And there, we haven't seen any performance gain really. And in some cases, it's a performance hit still. Um, Right. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us today, Matt, and taking time out of your day. Of course, uh, it's always it's always good to get a little update on what's going on and, and share that with everybody. So, right on. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I always like to thank the audience as well for joining us. Uh, we do this every Wednesday at about um, well, most Wednesdays, like ninety nine percent of the Wednesdays, one p.m. Pacific, right here, uh, YouTube, Twitch, and uh, I also broadcast to LinkedIn and Twitter. So, uh, mark your calendars for that. Uh, next week, actually, we have. Clinton Jones, the former uh, quarter digital VFX 3D artist. That's going to be super fun. I'm really excited to talk to uh, Clint about what he's been up to and get a little more understanding of what it is he does and how he does it. So that'll be really fun. Tune in next week. That's uh, the 16th, 1 p.m. Pacific right here. Mark your calendars. We'll see you all next time. Yeah. Bye. Yeah.